You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The Catechism this afternoon asks our attention what we may confess about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us therefore open scriptures and read about it, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, the verses 1 through 23. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold it firm, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as an animal dies, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
This afternoon I may proclaim to you the word of God as we find it summarized in Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's striking how often the catechism uses the word benefit. Many times it is repeated, speaking about the work of Jesus Christ. Lord's Day 16, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Now, Lord's Day 17, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Lord's Day 18, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? Lord's Day 19, how does, how does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? Now, on first hearing, the word benefit may have a weak ring to it. Like when you get a new job and a decent salary, people will ask you, oh, any uh, fringe benefits like medical or discounts and so on? But that is certainly not the intention of the catechism. Perhaps it becomes clearer when we stress the word us, benefit to us. Why or how does it benefit us? It stresses that very strong relationship that there is between Christ and us. His work and the great blessings this grants to us. People who are totally unworthy of it. People conceived and born in sin and daily adding to their sins. How can these things done by Jesus Christ so long ago centuries before we even born, how can these still do us such tremendous good, be such real benefits? After all, the catechism, uh, in the catechism, uh, we begin our confession of faith by saying that it is a book of comfort. What is your only comfort in life, in death? that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him. So what happened to him or by him directly relates to us. See, and that is all stressed throughout the catechism. <clears throat> it is not just a book of doctrine summarizing the truths, that too, but we are time and again reminded that it speaks about that warm and that loving relationship between Christ and us. And what happened to him directly affects us and benefits us in life and death, 
And both are dealt with also in this Lord's Day about Christ's resurrection and the benefits this grants for us in life and death. Now this Lord's Day does not even try <coughs> to, explain the, uh, to explain the resurrection or the factuality of it. The next Lord's Day does, speaking about the ascension into heaven. It pictures before us how it happened, because there were eyewitnesses. But no earthly being witnessed the resurrection. The disciples, as well as us, had to simply believe it. And Jesus, in his grace, confirmed his resurrection by a number of appearances before ascending into heaven. But those who confess that their only comfort is that they belong to Jesus Christ in life and death, with body and soul, simply believe what is revealed to us in scriptures by God himself. And they may speak about it, and they may celebrate the wonderful blessings, the benefits, flowing towards them as a result of his resurrection. And having addressed you as beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I may proclaim to you the benefits of Christ's resurrection for you. And we'll see first that you are justified, that is right with God. Secondly, you are being sanctified, that is, being made holy. And thirdly, that you will be glorified, the resurrection of your body. First of all, then, that you are justified. Now, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the heart and the soul of the Christian faith. As we heard Paul declare it very clearly in our scripture reading. It is, as he said, of first importance. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, already in Paul's days, there were those who, de who denied any resurrection of the dead, including then that of Jesus Christ. And there are many today who will say the same thing, who will say, this life is all. Make the best of it. And if Jesus was the true man, then the 33 years of, uh, uh, of his life here on earth were also all. And even many who claim to be a Christian will deny the resurrection, even though they claim to hold on to scriptures. Now you may say, uh, how do they then explain that clear testimony of the apostles? 
Well, either they will ascribe it to imagination, or they will have us uh, explain that the disciples afterwards, they were reminiscing about Jesus. They were recalling all his words, recalling all his acts. And all was so vivid that it seemed to them that he was still there in their midst. It all came to life again after he had been devastated by his death. Or others will say that the apostles just gave an account of their faith without necessarily being concerned about the real facts. But, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't spend our time discussing and weighing the devilish plots to undermine the Christian faith in so many victims of his deceit. We know, and we may believe with Paul, that without the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, our faith would be futile. That is of no value, no benefit at all. And what's worse, Paul says, we would still be in our sins. If there is no resurrection, we would still stand condemned before the throne of God. And if you would not believe in the resurrection, you also still are in your sins with the words of Paul. That is unrighteous. You still stand condemned facing the consequences of sin without grace, without mercy, without a heavenly father, only a judge who declared in the beginning that the wages of sin is death in the full meaning of death, also for those who are still in their sins. However, thanks to God's intervention and God's grace in our lives, we may know that there is a loving God, a merciful Father. We may know that we are right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. As we read in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Or as we read in Romans 4, verse 25, He was delivered over to death for our sins, and He was raised to life for our justification. It was all for us, for all who believe in Him. Not just that you believe some things about Him, No, that you believe in him and confess that you belong to him with body and soul in life and death. See, that's a great comfort, that's a great benefit we have received while we of ourselves are just totally unworthy of it. His death was for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Or, to put it in plain words, to make you right with God, before God, without spot, 
without blemish, declared by the judge not guilty. And therefore death, eternal death, the ultimate punishment for sin, has been overcome. Christ on the cross said, it is finished, all is paid for. And so he voluntarily laid down his life, knowing that death would not have the ultimate word anymore. And then he arose from the dead, confirmed by the Father, raising him from the dead. Arising from the dead and being raised from the dead are interchanged. All is right between the Father and the Son, and all those who belong to him. Death has been overcome. There's no more guilt for you. No more punishment for sin. All is accomplished. And therefore we may confess as a benefit to us of Christ's resurrection that first by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Now, that is not just a statement, not just a declaration. It is a jubilant song. It's a song of praise and thanksgiving. Our faith and our hope is not futile. We share in Christ's righteousness. In other words, we are just as righteous before God as Christ himself. And that's our present state before God. And it will be forevermore. That's God's promise. Now that puts a whole different perspective on our lives. And that just opens a brilliant future. And that is all implied by proclaiming and confessing that you are justified. Not guilty before the Almighty Judge. Nothing to fear when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead. You belong to Christ redeemed. And his resurrection proves that all is indeed right between you and the triune gods. Confessing from the heart what is summarized here is indeed a song of joy, a song of high expectation. Just like Peter speaks about these wonderful realities, these new realities with joy and praise to God. Praise be to God, he says, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. While brothers and sisters talking about benefits, it's life itself. It's a new life. It's a new birth. Secondly, we'll see that you are being sanctified. 
Now, being justified, being in a position of being righteous again before God, has great consequences and results also for this life. It changes your life dramatically, as we may confess here as a second benefit, when the Catechism summarizes it by saying, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. We too. Not only Christ, but we too. Now, this new life of this second benefit is not to be confused with the afterlife after our glorious resurrection, following this life here on earth. And the third benefit clearly speaks about that. No, this new life is the here and now life we live here on earth, still awaiting Christ's return. We read in scriptures that if there is no resurrection, if Christ to whom we belong was not resurrected, you're still in your sins, living in sin, in the power of sin, living your old life doomed to eternal condemnation, forsaken by God. But we do believe in the resurrection. So we are no longer in our sins being justified. We are raised up to a new life. Now, a little later in the Catechism, we will confess that coming to life of this new nature is, in a quote, a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God and all good works. Now, you may say... Just a minute, that's not the case in my life. Only joy and delight. Oh, I often try and I have good intentions. Oh, and I do have these moments of joy and delight in the Lord and His service. But my old nature and the devil and the world still get the better of me. I can't do it. No matter how hard I try. Well, brother or sister, if you say that, you are honest. And you are in good company. Paul said the same. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I will do. You cannot do it. You do not have the power to renew yourself. You cannot be born again of your own accord. That's why the Catechism has those precious words in there, by His power. That is the power of our risen Lord. Remember, He is our head and we are the body that belongs to Him. The head rules and empowers the body. This renewal, this sanctification is His work in and through us. By His power, we too are raised up to a new life. But this sanctification, this being made holy, is a lifelong process. And we don't go through that process all 
in the same way. You could say that your justification happened already when Jesus died and rose again. That's a change in your status before God from guilty to not guilty. But your sanctification, the result of it is, is an ongoing process. The Holy Spirit working in you, in your mind, in your heart, through the Word of God, giving you faith, nourishing that faith, giving you joy and delight to live according to God's will, living a new life. Yes, there are many remaining sins that cling to us like burrs. Scars are left from previous wounds. And there is suffering and there is grief, which often to us seems to last and last. But Peter classified that suffering and grief in all kinds of trials by saying that it is for a little while. And yet God uses all that to renew you, to sanctify you, to make you more and more holy until he will say, it is enough. I take you up. Perfection has come. Christ arose from the dead. And we, together with him, are raised to a new life by his power. Guaranteed by the Lord himself in Holy Scriptures. You will be holy, just like Christ, just like God's angels, just like godly people who have been promoted to heavenly glory before us. You have the new life in you. And seeing that it is the Lord's work, it can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let this also be a sincere call not to resist the work of Christ's renewal in your life, but that you submit to it in humble faith. Let Christ be all in all, and let him have priority in your life. As we read in Colossians 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Thirdly, you will be glorified. It says in the Catechism, third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Note again that it is always seen as it is in relationship to you. It is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. And that is the language of scriptures. It is not speaking about something abstract, something removed from us. It's not just another Christian doctrine. It is not a benefit that is there somewhere, and then you can receive it or maybe not. And neither is it the future of everyone. 
No, it speaks about our very close relationship with Jesus Christ. Because by the grace of God, we have confessed that we belong to him. We're his. He chose us and not we him. Now, there are many who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They don't really care about the future, what will happen to them. Their senses have been dulled, their eyes so blinded, that they don't really think all that much about their future after death. Satan has them in their grip. And he has deceived them to such a degree that they're stricken with blindness. But brothers and sisters, now God, in his grace, has opened your eyes. He has worked faith in your hearts through his word and spirit. Otherwise, you would have been like them. But now try to imagine what your life would be like if all that wouldn't have been there, if you wouldn't know about God, you wouldn't know about Jesus Christ, you wouldn't know about sin and death and salvation, eternal condemnation and hell. Well, that is how it is for those who do not believe without them realizing what they are missing. Can you then also see what a great calling we have to make this known to those who are still in darkness? Do you also see how rich we are and how we cannot hoard these treasures all for ourselves? Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection pledge. People make pledges, people make promises to each other at a wedding, for example, that occasion often with a token of a ring, or we do it in written or spoken form at a baptism, like this morning and profession of faith. We make promises in business deals. But what people do and say, it's not always reliable. But when Christ pledges it to us and tells us that his resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is in Christ, that Christ is the first one to, uh, to be followed by all those who belong to him, If he says that, we can put our total trust in him. Our future is assured, and it is a glorious future. If the Spirit, Romans 8, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
Now, Lord's Day 22 will speak more about this in detail. But here the point is made that Christ's resurrection is your sure pledge of your glorious resurrection. You belong to him, right? Well, he won't leave you here on this earth with your mortal bodies slowly deteriorating, being entrusted to the ground in the end. No, he will raise these mortal bodies as sure as he himself arose from the dead and is now at the right hand of the Father. Now, the disciples witnessed some of his initial glory during his days on earth after after his resurrection. And yes, it was still Jesus. It was still the human body. He ate and he drank with them. He spoke with those who belonged to him and he listened to them. At the same time, he was capable of doing things no mortal being can. He appeared and he disappeared wherever it pleased him. Closed doors meant nothing to him. He was in the world, but he was beyond anything that could possibly harm him. And that was only the beginning. Later in Revelation, much more of his glory was seen by John, as well as of those who were taken up to him in heaven, eagerly awaiting the glorious resurrection of their bodies here on earth, waiting the new earth. And brothers and sisters, what we do and what we experience here, here on earth, is just for a little while, Paul, uh, Peter says. And often, as you get older, you are made more and more aware of that as well. But don't be short-sighted. Don't be discouraged on this short journey through your life. Whether you just started the journey or whether you are well on your way or anywhere in between. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You've been raised. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God, Paul says. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Take the Lord's word for it. Now every Sunday, like today, the first day of the week, it's the day that Jesus arose from the dead, we are reminded of God's wonderful grace, reminded of the great benefits that we have received in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let it be a day of rejoicing, a day of celebration, a day of encouragement and of renewed commitment to live the new life that God has allowed us every day of this week and as many as the Lord allows us. The eternal Sabbath is coming. All who died in Christ will be raised. That is Christ's pledge to you. 
let us live looking forward to that future and being faithful in the meantime. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.